Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solutions from the Huddle, and I am your host, Titus Bartolotta. The show is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group, and we are at it again. Friends, we've got a really, really special show for you this time. Uh, the truth is, it was pretty good last time, and maybe even a couple times ago, and we hope that it's going to be good next time, too. That's always the mission. Like We don't want to waste your time. And so for those of you that keep coming back, we, we know that you already know that, and we appreciate you. For those of you that are coming here for the very first time, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we continue to grab some of the smartest, most uh, accomplished, significant folks that we can find. And uh, we ask them to share their story and unpack their successes and maybe maybe a couple of bumps and scrapes along the way to help you better navigate and, and move in your life personally and professionally. And today we've got somebody exceptional. I really am excited to hear his story with you and, and, and to help you be able to learn uh, through his adventures uh, before we start the show that we always start in just a quick word of prayer, we'll do it this time and then we'll get right into our guests. So Lord, we just ask that you bless the show, our guest, our sponsors, just every part of it. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Uh, today, friends, we have uh, Russell Heath on the program. And I got to tell you, he's a published author. Uh, he's a successful coach uh, and and I'm going to let him unpack his life, but from his teens to his 20s to his 30s, his 40s, uh, the man has done some incredible things, and I want him to tell you about it. Russell, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Titus. Thanks, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Russell, I want you to tell everybody um, a little bit about who you are and what you do today. Um, what you're best known for today, but then I want you to hit the rewind button and, give, and unpack your journey because it's pretty cool. All righty. Well, what I do today, I mean, I do a number of things today, but the key thing is I'm a life and leadership coach. So I work with people, high-performing people who want to really either juice their career or they want more out of life or the relationships, but generally more out of their careers. And, you know, leadership is a, it's, it's used everywhere. And, and there's a multi-billion dollar industry out there <laughs> trying to design leaders. And it's tough to be a leader. It's really tough to be a leader, and it's mostly about your character and who, how you show up in the world. And I really enjoy working with people who are out to make big things happen. Yeah. How, how, how have you found the landscape is generationally? Like, are you getting a lot of questions? I get a ton of questions about young folks, about their ability to become leaders, you know, millennials or, or, or the, the generation after that. People are forgetting that gener- uh, millennials are actually quite, quite older in life. You could be in your mid to late 30s and be a millennial based on the math. But for the folks that are younger, uh, a question I get a ton is how do we develop their leadership and, and, and can they be leaders? Is that something that you're hearing a lot of since you're yeah. a leadership expert? You know, I have a, forgive me, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a trigger for me to, to, to make generalizations across some kind of class of people, yeah. whether it's racial or age or whatever, because sure. in any class of people, there's a, you know, there's the bell curve, there's a distribution. And, mm. and I deal with people on individuals. Somebody shows up to me, you know, whatever their background, whatever their race, whatever their gender, whatever their, their, their age, and I deal with them as an individual. 
And that's really the only way I can look. I, I, I just, I, I react negatively to, to broad generalizations to people. Yeah, I, I just know that so many employers are asking those kind of questions of of how in the world do we come alongside this this generation? They feel somewhat disconnected. Um, I want to know your story, though, uh, Russell. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to be a leadership expert and, and a business and life coach and a published author today. Um, I'm sure that's not how it started for you. No, no, it's just it's one one sorry trail of failures after another, right? <laughs> So, so um, how far back do I go? So, so school from from first grade on was was sheer torture for me. And but buddies of of mine in ninth grade said we we're going to start our own high school. So we started our own high school, but that wasn't good enough. And I quit after eleventh grade, and and I wanted to get to Alaska. And it was a little bumpy getting there. It took me a few years, but eventually I stuck out my thumb and hitchhiked from Philadelphia to Alaska. Arriving in, in 1974, just as the pipeline was getting started, just there's a before and after Alaska, and and mm. that was it was like 1974 was that year, and uh, I found this little cabin on the banks of the Tanana River outside of Fairbanks, and I spent the winter out there. Got we had one week, it got 55 below, absolute temperature, oh, wow. and uh, yeah, cracked the window in the cabin. I turned on the uh, the, the wood stove was just roaring, and. So I ended up spending the winter there working on the Alaska pipeline, which helped put me through school. And then when I graduated from school, I, I, I wanted to live overseas. So I lived in Italy for a year. And then I still had a little pipeline money left. <clears throat> I dropped down into Africa, across the Sahara, went through the, through the jungles of Central Africa into the savannas of East Africa and spent several months wandering around East Africa and then came back up through the Eastern Sahara, through Sudan and Egypt, and finally into Israel. And, and the first big decision I made in my life, you know, it was like a conscious decision was made on the streets of Tel Aviv. I had, I had dysentery like you wouldn't believe. I mean, you can't travel. Mm. I was seven months in Africa eating local food, drinking local water, and I was, I was seriously ill. And I'll make this, it's a very long and painful story, but I just need to say parenthetically that Tel Aviv is dysenteric's paradise because there's a public mm. john on every other block. And that was the extent of my range back then. But in any wow. case, I decided then that I did not want a normal career, that I wasn't interested in the family and, or, or a standard career, that I wanted something. Uh, I wanted to have an adventure in my life. And so that's when I committed myself to doing, having adventures, whatever they may be. So when did that, when did that first happen? I'm sorry, Russell. I, was that part of what caused you to leave after 11th grade and, and go on a journey? Was that when you first realized or was it after you started that you realized this is what I'm looking for? Well, it, be, it became, I, I was able to articulate it to myself when I was in Tel Aviv. So I was 25 at that point. So gotcha. that, was, okay. that was, you know, eight or nine years since leaving high school. But yeah, I just didn't want a standard route through life. Mm. So anyway, I continued through Asia, spent another year traveling through Asia, and then went back to Alaska. And then let's see. So the quick thing is, um, four years later, I, I had bought a sailboat and I sailed around the world. So I spent four years doing that. And then I came back from, from there and decided I'd had enough of those kind of adventures. And the next thing I did is I, I dropped out of, um, what did I do? I ran the Alaska Environmental Lobby. So that was really exciting. I, uh, I represented the, the, the environmental community in the Alaska legislature, learned a lot about politics, how things happen and how things don't happen. 
And then from there, let's see, I, I quit, tried to write a couple novels, you know, and try to follow Stephen King and his footsteps. <laughs> Didn't even make my money back. I don't think I got a nickel in the hour, but I had a blast writing those novels. I learned a lot about, about the craft of writing, about sitting down every day and churning out words, about thinking about characters and who people are and how they show up in the world. And then I went back to Alaska and I ran the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council, which is a extraordinarily effective organization that protects the rainforest in Southeast Alaska. Uh, the rainforest at one time went from Alaska all the way down to San Francisco. Most of it's been destroyed now, but there's a piece of it in, in the Tongass in Southeast Alaska. It's, it's almost 18 million acres, the largest temperate rainforest left on the planet. Beautiful, just stunningly beautiful place. And then were those more, were those passions of yours, Russell? Like the environmental um, things, was that something at an early age that was important to you, or or once you started kind of seeing the world outside of your your backyard of your community, did some enlightenment come to you? Uh, enlightenment. I'm still chasing that. Now the so that's that's it's a really good question you ask, and the the broader question that you're asking is, you know, where does where does one's values come from? Where does one's point of view, the way we look at the world, um, where does that come from? And generally, we tend to think it either comes, you know, it may come from God, or it may come, you know, we think it through rationally. As a coach, what I look at is mostly our, our point of view, the way we look at the world comes from our own concerns. We, we believe and we value what we do because it answers something in us. And part of the key, particularly if your values aren't working for you, is to find out what those concerns are. And so the environmentalism came to me when I was leaving high school. And the concern I had was that I didn't fit in well with people. So the question is, if I was leaving home and had to be on my, my own, how was I going to survive? And for me, as, as unrealistic as it was, I could survive in the wilderness. I could survive by myself in the wilderness. And it was that that turned me into a, quote, environmentalist at the time. And Alaska is always, you know, it, 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 in many ways, it's a very spiritual experience. Have you, have you been to Alaska yet, Titus? You know, I've not. And, and my wife and I have talked about doing one of these uh, Alaskan cruises, which is probably still not anywhere near uh, comparative to actually going there and being there. But we've talked about it. And, you know, we cannot find a single person that has visited Alaska or, or done the Alaskan cruise that doesn't just scream about how moving and, and experiential it is and, and how, how important it is. So it, it's this, it's this common thread. I can't find anyone that doesn't have, have only positive things to say. And, and they always finish it up with, you gotta go. Right. So, so it, this is in that same, in that same vein, it sounds like. It is. I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's, you know, that it's a state that'll scour your soul, that will just lift you up and ring you like a bell. I mean, it's, it's beauty, it's awesomeness, it's, it's, um, it's challenge. I mean, most tourists are gone before the first snow flies, but if you live there, you know, putting up with 20 or 30 below, it's a challenge. And anytime I, again, I think we are called forth by challenge. And one of the things that, that a lot of my clients come to me with is that they're bored with life. And part of the reason I think they're bored is that they're not 
caused a challenge. And the challenge could be spiritual. The challenge could be you know, material. It could be starting your own business. It may just be make, making your sales quotas. <clears throat> but if we don't have challenge in our lives, things get pretty flat. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. So, so to answer your question, yeah, it, 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 was, it was around when I was 16, 17, 18 that I started becoming more interested in the environment. And so when I went back, when I went to Alaska, in, um, I was writing the novels in a, in, a, in a different state, in a different cabin on the coast of Maine. So I went back to Alaska to run the Southeast Alaska Conservation Council and did that for a number of years. And the point, you know, coming back to your question about leadership, what I learned, so there was a very high profile position. I was in the newspapers every week, is that I could take that organization only as far as I was personally developed. It was my leadership that was the bottleneck, that was the barrier to our effectiveness. It wasn't lack of resources. It wasn't how bad the bad guys were. It wasn't the circumstances. It was my leadership. And then the second thing that I realized is that leadership is less about skills. We talk about leadership skills. But you need the underlying behavior with which to deploy those skills. And a good example is you may be able to write a perfect speech, right? Cicero couldn't do a better job. But if you show up on that stage and you're nervous and you're mousy, your speech won't go over well. So you may have the skill to write a good speech, but you don't have the behaviors to deliver a good speech. And leadership is mostly, I'd say 80% about those behaviors. Yes, skills are important, but it's those underlying behaviors. How do you engage people? How do you inspire people? How do you get people organized so they're moving in, you know, together towards a common goal? Leadership is really about relationships, whereas management's more about processes, you know, inputs, process, outputs. And when I was at, at SEAC, this organization, I knew I needed to develop myself if I were to be a better leader. So eventually I left SEAC and I went to New York City and dove into some serious leadership coaching where they took hammer and tongs to me. And, <laughs> and I'll tell you, it was the most difficult thing I did in my life. I mean, it was nothing like sailing around the world. That was a breeze or writing novels. And... And at the same time, I was unable to find a job. And at, at, at some point, I said, all right, I can't depend on somebody else to offer me a job. I've got to work for myself. And that's when I decided to become a leadership coach. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I love the way that you kind of unpacked the difference between the, the skills of a leader and, and more, more what you call the behavior. Um, you know, and I and I took a note here. Um, how a leader delivers those skills. Um, you, you use the example of delivering a speech, but it's probably no different than any other skill that he or she needs to execute. The delivery of the the speech or the intention or the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned it's about relationships. Do you think that anybody can be a leader? Uh, you know, is are there are there folks out there that are just by design um, less equipped? Um, their 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 ceiling is is lower, or or is it a wide open space for folks? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, 
here's here's my thought at an individual level right just you and me we need to be leaders in our own life and let me let me just back up and say the distinction i make between say a leader and a manager a leader asks the question of where am i going why is it important and how am i getting there a manager asks how can i take this input process it to make that output two very different things and you need both so a leader who's a bad manager his checks bounce bounces right he doesn't show up on time he doesn't get stuff done but he may be totally visionary and a manager who doesn't have a person who's more manager than leader you know his 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 accounts are all in order his books are arranged alphabetically you know he's got all that stuff working really well but he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life mm. he doesn't know where he's going so that's the distinction and and you know when i work with somebody who may be very much a manager so okay what do we need to do to bring some vision where you can see where you want to be in 10 years that's a leader question where do you want to be that's a leadership question where do you want to be in 10 years the manager question is is how do i pay my bills this month sure you need the both you need them both and come back is yes you can always bring some kind of leadership in but but leadership when you start going out into the world and you're you're dealing with people you know that's scary you just look at every leader you know and even the ones that we really we we very much um you know venerate martin luther king mandela or whatever i mean those guys they have targets on their back you can't be a leader you can't stand for apple pie without somebody fighting you and you've got to have the grit to put up with that yeah where 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 does that come from russell right i think i think many of the folks that i uh, that I that I see leadership potential in their their insecurities, their lack of confidence, their fear, their, their apprehension um, already creates so many barriers, so many hurdles. How, how do how do they have the guts, you know, um, to 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 jump and fall? Right? How do they do the initial jump? Sometimes it's easier if you've been running and jumping over hurdles, even if you knock the last three over, you keep going because you were, you were just going a minute ago. So might as well keep doing it. Right. Right. How does somebody start the motor? So yeah, a couple things. One is um, you start small. Two is you acknowledge your fear. You don't pretend it's not there. And three, you realize, and this is key, your fear is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're challenging yourself, there's going to be fear there. The goal is not to wait until the fear goes away. The goal is not to get into therapy to make the fear go away. The fear, the, the goal is to acknowledge it and build the courage so that the fear doesn't stop you. Mm. And then the other thing to look at is, this is true with confidence too, is what is it that you're actually afraid of? If we boil it down, if we strip right away all the stories and excuses and, and, and narrative we have around our fear, most fears are around our fear of feeling uncomfortable. They're a fear of an emotional reaction, right? So there's a fear, of course, you have when somebody's attacking you with a knife. Got that. For most of us, that's not usually an issue. For almost all of us, there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of looking humiliated. There's a, <clears throat> there's a fear of being rejected. There's a fear of being wrong. 
And the fear is actually of the feelings that come with those. When you feel wrong, you, st you stick your hand up and shout out the answer and everybody laughs at you. It's, the, it's that pain of feeling humiliated that stops us. So mm -hmm. confidence and courage are about willingness to put up, willingness to risk feeling uncomfortable for something larger. That, that makes sense? Yeah, that's that's absolutely wonderful. Um, Susan from the huddle, we're talking with Russell Heath, um, a graduate of accomplishment coaching um, and and a member of the International Coaching Federation, uh, where he's been coaching uh, for, for nearly a decade now. And we're talking leadership and you're talking about uh, having something that's worth dealing with the fear instead of avoiding the fear. Was there, was there an apprehension or a fear that got in the way internally or emotionally for you before you <laughs> hitchhiked across the country and before you bicycled to Mexico? I mean, these are like big endeavors. Um, I really second think uh, is, do I really, really, really need to make another trip to the kitchen? You know, I mean, I try to find other people that might be able to pick up something from the kitchen on their way, going in and out of the living room for me. Uh, you, maybe that's laziness, but what I do know is that um, going a long distance can be, can be very scary. And was there a why attached uh, that was so big and so motivational for you kind of mm -hmm. similar to what you're talking about relative to confidence and fear? Yeah, good question. Um, well, I say right pew, wrong church here. So sailing around the world is not scary for me, right? Calling up the governor and saying, hey, we got to talk about this bill. That was scary for me, right? Or going to um, you know, some legislator and saying, all right, what you said in the newspaper about us was wrong. Let's sit and talk about it. That's scary for me. So, so for me, in terms of my leadership, it was the engagement with people. It's, it's never really been the engagement with nature. Or the, or, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So sailing around the world, you know, it's very rarely that I got frayed, even though, you know, I had some monstrous storms that ran the boat aground a lot of times. And, and, and um, you know, there are a lot of, lot of long nights, you know, where I had to stay awake, you know, to, to keep a watch. But that wasn't afraid. That wasn't fearful. So what is it? What is it about the people? Right. I, I, you know, we've heard it said, if you got people, you got problems, right? I mean, managing people, <laughs> interacting with people, dealing with people. Um, there's a reason those monks go on really, uh, really high mountains all by themselves. Uh, one can make an argument that it's a little less scary in that, in that altitude. Uh, but what is it about people that you think? Because uh, it's a two-sided coin, right, Russell? I mean, for some folks, they say, I can't breathe without the company of people. They fuel me. They energize me. Got to be around people, yeah. um, extroverts and introverts. And you've got some folks that say, uh, I, I, man, I just I want to be left alone. You know, I can thrive in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a safari by myself uh, than I can maybe at a networking event with 15 or 20 people at a mixer with their local chamber of commerce. What do you think? Uh, makes those so so drastically different. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're all put together, together differently. I'd still say the extroverts have fears that may be related to people, but they often don't see them because the fears are internal. 
how to manage my own feelings as opposed to being outside outside in the world. So so for me, I, I mean, I just come back to to the to what I said initially is usually what we're afraid of is feeling uncomfortable, mm. painful feelings. And if you want to develop your courage, you want to develop your confidence, you'd be willing to say to yourself, is what I am up to, this goal that I have for myself, is it more important than feeling uncomfortable? Am I willing to risk failure? Am I willing to risk humiliation? Am I willing to risk um, rejection mm. in service of this goal? And if you are, and you, know, you said, I think, is, what's the why there? If your why is yeah. big enough, then you'll, you'll take those risks. And if it's, if it's not, if you're stopped by those feelings, then it's really not the feelings, it's the fear of the feelings. Because usually when we go through the feelings, they're not as bad as what we anticipate them to be. Yeah. Uh, then you might want to start working with a coach. If you find yeah. that your fears or your lack of confidence is stopping you, is keeping you, you know, on the sofa watching Netflix day in, day out, when you want to be out, out in the world doing something big, then yeah, let's talk. But again, what I would say mostly is it's what we fear is feeling uncomfortable, those painful feelings. Yeah. And then, and then how, we, how we shift and pivot those, um, those feelings to almost kind of till the emotional ground and, and break it up and kind of get into it um, so, so that we can plant seeds with a coach. Someone like yourself, I think, is going to be where growth comes from. Uh, right on the other side of our short break here, I want to get into maybe a couple bumps and scrapes along the way that, that we can learn what not to do, since you've already been sharing what we ought to be doing. Uh, we just always want to take a quick moment and say thank you to all the, the show partners. If you'd like to see some of the brands and companies that believe in the show, uh, that think that it's a great idea to get talented, smart people like Russell and just let them tell their story so we can glean and learn from it, uh, just go to team-csg.com. That's team-csg.com. And take a look at our solutions from the huddle page. You'll see companies like Speedy Oil Change, and MS Digital Solutions, Easy Living Technologies, Shepherd Law, and a lot of other great companies. Click on their logos, learn more about them. We wouldn't stand next to them if we didn't think they were standing for some good things. Uh, Russell, tell me, what are some of the, the bumps and scrapes along the way as we come to the, the back part of our show here? I've already gotten a page of notes from, yeah, I think our listeners have as well. Um, but what are, some, what are some things we ought to avoid? Right. What are some some things where where you you've already been there and done that for us? We maybe we don't have to experience. I'm a big believer in folks have to go through it. I'm a parent. Sometimes I think my kids have to experience it. But but there are I'm sure some things in life that maybe we don't have to go through. We can we can learn through the eyes and through the experience of a coach like yourself. Uh, maybe there's one or two of those experiences that our listeners might enjoy. What what would that be? I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. I think uh -oh. you have to go through it. Okay. All right. You know, and, and certainly you, here I can make a generalization and completely subvert what I said at the beginning of the show is maybe one of the risks that, that is happening to millennials is, is that they were overcoddled and they weren't, they weren't allowed to fail. Right? They weren't allowed to be bored. They always had to be entertained so that they didn't build the resilience. And I think this is a great risk. So one of the things that I would recommend not doing is, is um, quitting, is giving up on yourself, on um, what's important to you. 
saying I can't do it. It's much better to go out and fail than it is to not have tried at all. I mean, that's a bit of a cliche, but that's what I would say. But here are two things that we all do. We do them on a daily basis, and we're probably unaware of them. And they, <clears throat> they absolutely disempower us. And by disempower, I mean they diminish our lives, our ability to live lives well. One is we make ourselves victims. We make ourselves victims of everything. We make ourselves victims of our spouses. We make ourselves victims of our parents. We make ourselves victims of the politics. We make ourselves victims of ourselves. And anytime we find ourselves being a victim, which is, which is putting the responsibility for what's happening in your life on somebody outside, something outside of you. Mm. Right? I, I had a friend, I had a, a client once who had a brain injury. And she used to blame her injury for how she showed up. And I said, well, listen, you can, you can spend the rest of your life blaming your brain, but the, the, it's the only brain you're going to have. <laughs> you're not going to be able to change it. So you're going to have to learn to live with it. And it's much more powerful to learn how to live with what you have than to, than to be stopped and make yourself a victim of it. Mm. So the, the rule is, if you're not getting the results you want in your life, what do you need to do? What do you need to change to get those results? As soon as you blame somebody else for the results you're getting, you've given away your power, totally given away your power. And the other thing is righteousness. And by right, I'm not using it in the, in the, in the Christian sense of the term here. I'm, I'm using it in a different sense. And that is, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm better than, you're less than. I'm validated, you're invalidated. As soon as we start seeing the world through that way, I'm right, you're wrong, we set up a division. I'm over here, you're over there. Mm. I would say that our spiritual path is oneness, is coming together. And anytime you get into the right-wrong context, even if, even, if you, even if you could prove, you could just look up on Wikipedia that show that you're right, the fact that you're saying, I'm right, you're wrong, is creating a division. Mm. And what's powerful about that is, if I, I'm not a neuroscientist, but my guess is that when we are being right, some nifty chemicals being released in our brains that makes us feel good. And I'd I'd say that's an addiction we need to give up. Mm. If you can, wow, yeah. So I can go more and more on righteousness and victimhood, but those are the two things that I would avoid on a on a. A regular basis, right? <laughs> I was going to say like the play, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Russell, give everyone uh, the contact information. If the folks are listening right now, they say, we want to check out some of these novels. Uh, maybe we want to try a session out. We want to see if, if Russell's a good fit for our growth strategy. Uh, wh- where should they go to continue the conversation and take the next steps? So my website is russellheath.net, N-E-T. And you just Google Russell Heath coach and I should pop right up in any case, I, you know, depending on your, your Google's algorithms for you. And, and Titus, I'll, I'll make an offer to all your, your listeners out there. Say the first, first three that show up, I'll give them a, a free coaching session. Wow. Yeah. Um, so so if, they go, if they go to Russell, that's R-U-S-S-E-L-L-H-E-A-T-H dot N-E-T, uh, and they reach out, they maybe leave a contact request form and, and mention solutions from the huddle, uh, they'll, get, they'll get some free time with you to kind of test the waters before they go swimming in them. Yeah, well, maybe work on their leadership. 
I love it. I absolutely love it. He, uh, Russell, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, There's so many uh, wonderful places that you've visited in this world. So many great climates that you've lived through. uh, And and I'd love to have you back on the show. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. I'd love to. Thanks, Titus. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.